as we uh, kick off this hour of worship, or hour and a half, or whatever it turns out to be, we want to invite God into this place. Not that God isn't already here, but we want to let God know our intentions, that we long to have and feel and know the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are magnificent, and we were created to worship you. We were created to be connected to you in relationship. We are made in your image, and we can spend our whole lives contemplating what exactly that means. But one thing we know for sure, that you are so high and holy and glorious and wonderful that we owe everything to you. Lord, we want to confess first and foremost that there are ways this week in which we have failed you. There are things that we have intentionally done things that we have intentionally left undone. There are things that we have accidentally and habitually done and left undone. And we know that you are aware of every single one of those things, that there is no place that we can run and hide, that all we have left is to turn to you and rely on your mercy and grace. And so we ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us, to give us a new start this morning. That just as the sun came up this morning and kicked off a new day, that your mercies would be new with regards to us. We know that you love us. We know that you are working on our behalf to help us become more and more like Jesus, to literally change us from the inside out into the likeness of your Son. And this is what we long for, even as we stumble along the way. We thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for resurrection. We thank you for the stories in the Scriptures in which we read about this uh, great cloud of witnesses, old and new, your people of faith that have done amazing things and gone before us, the shoulders on which we stand, upon which this community, this church is built. We are so thankful for that. We ask that you help us to be strong in our faith so that the generations that come after us might have shoulders to stand upon, a foundation, this great building that you are building up in which the Holy Spirit dwells, your church. We are thankful for the folks that first introduced us to Jesus. When we think back, the first moment that we were aware uh, that you made all things and that you desired to be in relationship with us, and how slowly, slowly, slowly our minds turned and our hearts changed, and eventually we found ourselves putting our trust in your son. We thank you for those people. May we be those people for others. And Lord, as we gather into this place, as we come to you to worship, 
we also confess that there are some things that are heavy upon our hearts and minds that might be distracting us this morning and keeping us from focusing solely on you. And so we want to call out the names of these people and situations and give them over into your care. We lift these names to you now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 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 All the Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. All the folks who are dealing with flooding in Mississippi right now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Ron Bradley and his family. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we lift these to you and all the unspoken requests that still linger in this place. We long to be free from the anxiety back this morning. Help us to trust that when Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that it is in our best interest to free ourselves from our worries and anxieties, to cast our cares at your feet, and to take on the yoke of Jesus. May we do that this hour and beyond, and may you receive all praise and glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. Come on up, guys. You feel like something's in your shoe? You should take your shoe off and see. Oh, your shoes are on the wrong feet, dude. That could have something to do with it. There you go. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, so today we have been talking about the same story for the last several weeks. Does anybody remember who our Who was it? Ruth. Ruth and Boaz. And so those are some cool names. Um, that's Susanna's middle name is Ruth, right? After this character in the Bible. Um, but we have a lot of different special names among us. Do you guys know, does your name have a special meaning? Or were you named after somebody or something? Do you know? Okay, tell me. My dad's dad. Your dad's dad's name was Jay? All right. How about you? I don't wanna. You don't wanna say. Mine means either curly-haired or curly-headed in Greece. Oh, very cool, very cool. Would anybody else like to share their name if it has a meaning, or if you were named after? I don't have a super cool story. I was uh, named after a Simon and Garfunkel song. Do y'all know who Simon and Garfunkel are? I, yeah, none of these guys. Wrong generation, right? Um, but. Names are cool, and family trees are fun and important. And did you know that Ruth and Boaz are a part of a very important family tree? Because down the line, Ruth and Boaz are the great, 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 great grandparents of 
Jesus. Isn't that cool? What? I know. Their family tree is so cool. Um, so you guys are going to be talking a little bit more about family trees and how because they chose to be followers of God, they got in on this really cool blessing and became grafted into God's family tree, just like we get to when we choose to follow God. So does that sound pretty cool? Yeah. What you got? Uh, you know how when Noah's when the world was flooded and only Noah's family was survived, we are all related because only Noah's family was survived. Right. So that makes us all part of God's family tree. There you go. All right, guys. Well, will you guys pray with me before we go off to Children's Church? All right. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, put our hands together. Would you pray after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us awesome names and awesome family trees. Help us to love others just like you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. So you can either head with me to Children's Church or go and sit with your families. Awesome. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as these scriptures are read and a word proclaimed, we might receive with joy those things that you have to say to us today. Amen and amen. We are wrapping up Ruth. You guys going to miss Ruth? I'm going to miss Ruth. I was telling uh, first service, kind of, you know, when we finished first Peter, I was like, ah, kind of sad. I'm kind of sad we're going to be leaving Ruth, but we're, we're at the end. So we're going to read the entire fourth chapter, hear how this ancient story ends. No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there than the next of kin of whom Boaz had spoken came passing by. So Boaz said, come over, friend, sit down here. And he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. At this, the next of kin said, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, Acquire it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. 
in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephathra and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became, became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the descendants of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram, Ram of Abinadab, Abinadab of Nashon, Nashon of Salmon, Salmon of Boaz, Boaz of Obed, Obed of Jesse, and Jesse of David. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have reached the end of Ruth. We've come to the end of this story uh, you know, we got together on Thursday night, Theology on Tap, we, we hang out at uh, Pint and Barrel, and we said, well, what kind of ending is this? And, and we decided this is a, a, an ending of celebration. This is a, an exciting end to this story. Everybody's joyful, everybody's praising the Lord, giving thanks for the good things that have come out of this. Boaz ends up marrying Ruth. Ruth gives birth to Obed, and Obed will now carry on the name of his deceased father Malon, and his deceased grandfather Elimelech. Because of Obed, their names will uh, move into the future. Thank you so much, Mark. I asked for a glass of water. Thank you, thank you. Along with, uh, you know, Boaz, Obed, uh, just by nature of his birth, uh, will make sure that Ruth and Naomi are secure for the rest of their lives. They won't have to worry about a thing because Obed has come along. And I was thinking about how this is like one giant new family. This is one giant new family made out of uh, Hebrews and Moabites and this weird stepfather kinsman redeemer thing, like kind of the father but not really the father. And it's just like a hodgepodge that's made up this new family. And then we find out at the very, very end the very end of the story, that Obed becomes the father of Jesse. And of course, that strikes our ears because we remember the story of Jesse and his young son, David. And David becomes the greatest king in Israel's history. And then the prophets start foretelling this time in which a king will come in the line of David. And of course, we know that king to be Jesus. Jesus, born in the line of David, and all of this is happening in the little town of Bethlehem. Of course, we know Bethlehem, too. 
It's amazing to think that this is unfolding in a town that will hold such significance for us when baby Jesus is born there thousands of years or hundreds of years later, way, way after this time. You know, in fact, this this portion of the story is so important that Matthew decided to include it in the gospel account, the gospel of Matthew. In the beginning, he gives the lineage of Jesus, and he shows how Jesus can be traced back to his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David, and then traces it back even further all the way to Abraham. Now, the really cool thing in the Gospel of Matthew is that not only are we hearing about all these cool dudes, but Matthew decides to include three women, one of which is Ruth. Ruth is important in the line of Jesus. And so we can see now with clarity that we have all benefited from Ruth's loyalty, her bravery, her willingness to go the extra mile. Emily told the kids that names uh, and family trees are important. It's true. If you paid attention while we were going through the book of Ruth, you notice that names are very important to the author of Ruth. We don't know who wrote Ruth, but we know that names are important because the author is intentional about naming every single character. And if we dig a little bit further into the Hebrew, we find that the Hebrew names of these people begin to kind of uh, uh, connect to their role in the story in some weird fashion. Elimelech, who is only in the story in the very beginning, his name is My God is King. That's what his Hebrew name means. Naomi means pleasant. Pleasant. But you may recall that after her husband and sons die and she goes back to Bethlehem, she wants a name change. Do you remember what she requested? Mara. Mara, which means bitter. I am no longer pleasant, now I'm bitter about life. Malon, her sons, Malon and Kilion, who, who die early in the story, their names literally mean sickness and emptiness, or wasted away. Not surprising. Do you remember Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, who turns back and goes back home, goes back to her people and her family? Her name means back of the neck, what you see when she turns and walks away. Ruth, this is not surprising. The name Ruth means compassionate friend. Makes sense. Boaz, in him is strength. And then finally, Obed, servant. Obed means servant. Of course, Obed will be the one who serves his mother and grandmother and takes care of them in the future. What's really interesting about this, all the characters get names. All the names are significant. They're all important but there's one character that does not receive a name. Did you catch it? Did you see it? You got to read the Bible real slow. There's some things hidden in there. One character who does not get a name, and the author goes to great lengths to withhold the name from the reader. That character is the nearest kinsman redeemer. The nearest kinsman redeemer does not get a name. The one who had the first right of redeeming all of Elimelech's property, and Ruth the Moabite as a wife. That one does not get a name. I, I, let me read this to you again, because this is, this is interesting. Boaz, the, the nearest, the next of kin, the kinsman redeemer, is passing by, and Boaz says, come over here, friend, and sit down here. He doesn't say friends. Bad translation. 
Bad translation. He doesn't say friend. He literally says, Mr. So-and-so. Or as the NET translates it, uh, come here, what's your name? Now, are you telling me that Boaz didn't know this guy's name? He absolutely knew his name. He knew that he was first in line as a kinsman redeemer. He knew that he was part of Elimelech's family. And yet the author has Boaz call him, what's your name? Mr. So-and-so. Come here, you, guy. And at first I thought, okay, this is just some kind of weird fluke or just, you know, the author got tired of writing names or something. But the more that I thought about it and how the author went to great lengths to give us all of these names and show how the names and the roles of the people in the story are connected, I started thinking, this is not a coincidence. This is not a fluke. It's not that he got tired of writing or ran out of ink. He's making a statement. Just as a statement is being made about all the other characters, a statement is being made about this unnamed kinsman redeemer, Mr. So-and-so. You see, the author of Ruth has been trying to show us that this whole thing, the whole unfolding of this story is a communal affair. That the happy ending that we are reading about is possible through the faithfulness of many people. Not any one individual is responsible. It's a collective effort. And we even hear how the dead folks, their names are carried into the story and sustained through the actions of this community. It is through community that God does something amazing by the end. And it's through this community that future uh, generations, us, we, are benefiters of the blessings that come out of that. So I think to not receive a name, to not have a role in the story, in this team effort, is not a mistake. I don't think it's a mistake. In fact, I think that when the writer intentionally left out the name of this Redeemer, one who chose not to complicate his life in the community actions, one who instead chose to live out his individual life, pursuing his own happiness. Remember, he said, if I do this, it's going to mess up my inheritance. I'm going to stay over here. Y'all do what you need to do. Remember that? This one, this person, his name, his identity, his role in the story is lost into obscurity forever. We will never know his name. He's Mr. So-and-so forever. Mr. What's-his-name. Some guy who chose not to be a part of the team. I got to thinking about how I was on a team once in junior high. There were basketball tryouts. I thought, I'm going to try out for this team. I'm going to get on the basketball team. Now, I don't know anything about basketball. I've never played basketball in my life, but sure, I'm going to get on this team. First day, first practice, man, it was painfully aware. I am not cut out for this. I don't know a thing. I don't know what I'm doing. These guys are passing the ball, and then they're doing these combination shots, and I don't know a thing, but I make the team. But I also become a professional bench warmer for the season, right? I, that's my job. But the coaches are nice. Coaches are nice. At least once a game, they let me get off the bench and get into the game. I get to play a little bit. But I'm telling you, 
I, I, I'm hating this whole thing. I'm dreading it because I know that I'm not good. Uh, I never score any points. People never pass me the ball. And so I, I'm, I'm dreading this, and, and I've made it almost all the way through the season. We have like two or three games left, and I just decide I, I'm just going to stop going. I, I quit going to practice. I didn't attend the last games. I didn't give any notice to my coach or my teammates. I just stopped going because I thought, I hate this thing. I'm no good at it. Well, after the season ended, I guess they won some kind of award or trophy or something. And, and at the school in the trophy case, they had uh, some kind of a list that they printed. Congratulations to the you know, basketball team, and here are all the players. So, oh, that's pretty cool. So I walk up, and I look in the case and look at the list. My name's not on there. Now, I don't know why I expected my name to be on there. I mean, I left the team. But I guess some part of me thought, well, I was, I, like, I stuck it out for a little bit. I was part of it for a little bit. But I did leave the team. And I learned a lesson that day. The lesson that I learned is this. People who leave the team don't get to revel in the triumphs of the team. People who don't stick it out don't get to join in the party at the end. Right? That was the lesson that I learned. I should have stuck it out. And I think, you know, this is probably true of the team that God has placed before us today. You look around. This is a, this is a team effort. We're, we're, we're all in this place together. This church, this congregation, this season of life, this is... Uh, the, the team that God has assembled and is part of a greater team that we call the Catholic Church, the Universal Church, right? And I think how we have an option. We have an option today. We can join in and reap the rewards, not only the rewards that come in the midst of the work, but at, also at the end of the work. There are seasons we're getting ready to do pumpkin patch, and at the end of pumpkin patch, we're all going to look around and go, we did it. We did, you know. But also, the rewards that come at the end end. That's one option. The other option is to stay home. Miss out. Miss out on the action. Now, let's be honest. To walk away does have its benefits. You're going to save some time. You're going to save some frustration, maybe some embarrassment. I was embarrassed to play on the team. I felt a lot better when I decided I wasn't going to go anymore. You might even save yourself some money. But later when the crowd shouts, Blessed be the Lord who has not left us without a Redeemer. When that shouting begins and the party begins, well, you might know how that feels already. Maybe you've had an experience like that. Maybe it feels a little bit like looking in a trophy case and not seeing your name on the list. Oh. I want you to know that if that is your choice, that I still firmly believe that grace can and does make something beautiful from our mistakes at the end. I don't think there's anything that grace cannot transform into something beautiful. I, I firmly believe in the scandal of grace, and I call it the scandal of grace because it is scandalous indeed. There will be a day 
in which we are someplace together and we're looking around and we're going to look and we're going to say, wait a minute, that person is not supposed to be here. That name is not supposed to be on the list. Who's the manager around here? Who do I see? Grace is scandalous, friends. We're all going to be shocked. I was reading uh, some Richard Rohr devotions this week. He puts out a, a weekly emailer devotion. He was talking about how many people, when they think about the last day, they think of this big courtroom scene in which the judge has got the gavel and, you know, as the people come forward, it's guilty, not guilty. Good, bad, stay, led away. The good win, the bad lose. But Richard Rohr says, do you realize that when Jesus talks about that end day, that most of the time, in fact, 15 different times in parables and stories and images, he referred to it as a big party. This massive party, this feast, a banquet. He said there's actually only one parable that, that refers to it as a courtroom scene. Most of the time, it's this party image and how in Luke 14, he tells this parable about how a man sent out invitations to this great feast that he was going to host at his house. And he sends out all the invitations to his friends. And one by one, he starts getting RSVPs back. I'm sorry, I can't make it. I'm sorry, I can't make it. One guy says, hey, look, I just bought a new field and I need to go check out what I just paid for. I haven't seen it yet. Another guy says, I just got this new team of oxen, and I really, really want to try them out. So I'm taking them out to, to try them out plowing the field. Sorry, can't make it. And one by one, the invitations come back. Sorry, I can't make it. And the host looks around, and he says to his servants, I want this place full. I'm throwing a feast. I want it full. Go out and find people. Do whatever you have to do. Go into the back streets and the alleyways. Broaden the invitation. Just make sure this place is full. And before you know it, the house is filled with people celebrating, eating, sitting around the table. And he says, these are the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And Richard Rohr, in his devotional, says, he observes wisely. He says, the only people, do you have this slide? Delora? He says, the only people who don't get in on the party are those who don't want to come. So I guess we have to ask ourselves, do we want to come? Right? This is the image that we get. God's throwing a party. Do you want in or are you out? Do you want to be a part of the party or not? And I think if we've learned anything from this beautiful story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and the others, it's this. God is in the business of working through His people. God works collectively. Not that God doesn't work through individual people at times. Sure, God does. But God primarily, my theological opinion, God primarily works through the church through God's people. It's just how God does things. So we can be a part of that, or we can bow out. And when the party begins, we can take part of the party, or we can be left off the list. Again, 
Grace can turn anything around. So I'm not worried about that. But I think it's worth opening ourselves up to this divine family and everything that God's got going on in it. This, this beautiful mess, this wonderful diversity, whatever you want to call it, this collection of misfits working alongside each other, all with our unique talents and our unique personalities, our unique ideas and thoughts, sometimes butting heads, sure. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Because in the end, we get to reap the benefits of God's blessings. Blessings that were accomplished through us. Amazing. Accomplished through us. This crazy hodgepodge of people that God has brought together. Folks, we are better together. Let's make sure that we do not miss out on the party. Let's pray. Lord, what an honor it is for us to read this story of Ruth. The fact that an ancient story like this can actually teach us something today about community, about how you work. I pray that we would take these lessons seriously, Lord. That we would look past our differences and that we would buckle down and work together. We don't want to be like Mr. So-and-so. We don't want to be what's-her-name who uh, just, you know, doesn't, doesn't take part in, in the things that are going on. We want to be the kind of people that look at this opportunity and say, yes. Yes, what an amazing thing to be called in to this great work that you are doing through these people. And so, Lord, as we contemplate on what this means, as we now turn to the table and think about what this means, we pray that you would soften our hearts and minds, strengthen us for the task ahead. It is through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And will you receive this blessing? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved. You are completely forgiven and you are uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. As you go, no doubt you're going to make some mistakes this week because we all do. And when you make those mistakes, I need you to know there is nothing you can do that would make God love you any less because God's love for you is not based on your performance. It is rooted in His amazing grace. And by grace, He says, My beloved, I know everything there is to know about you. And I still think you are the best of the best of the best. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace. Amen.